Nooknay, and welcome along to episode number one of the Scottish Klingons podcast. The Scottish Klingons, and you might well be asking, understandably, well, who are you? And we are part of what is called the Cromlech Isles fleet of Klingons, Klingon fans, Star Trek fans, and we cover the whole of the UK and Ireland, and I'm glad to say that we have no fewer than four Klingon ships, four IKV vessels um, set up in Scotland. We have one in Edinburgh, which is the IKV Border Reavers. Then across the Glasgow in the West Coast, we have the IKV Dalriada, moving up north to Aberdeen, and we have the IKV Deathane. And then just over the border, we have the IKV Des Hoss, which is uh, birthed down in Newcastle. And we also have the Dry Storm, which is a Liverpool ship. And the group have been going now. We have around 70 on board altogether of a crew. We've been going for just over a year. And in that time, we've had lots of activities. We've gone out for dinner. We've gone to the cinema. We've gone to conventions together. We've done a bit of cosplay photo shoot, which was fantastic down in Ayrshire a couple of weeks back. And I'll, I'll probably touch upon that again later. Um, we have had a video game, retro video games, indeed, day out with some pinball in there in Edinburgh. And there's more to come. We're lining up a pool competition that is on the, the Green Bays here in Edinburgh. And also we are looking, we are currently involved in a, a fantasy football league with our crew, which covers the, the SPL, which is the Scottish Premier League of football, and that's now up and running. So um, just introducing myself, realize I haven't done that. I am Robert. I am the CEO of the Border Reavers, and I'm based in Edinburgh. Um, Klingon name is Parom Konja, which you, you find these Klingon names on um, Google searches, basically Klingon name generator. And I'm delighted to be joined this evening by our engineering officer, who is Mr. Gregor Cameron. And the idea of these is really just to get to know the crew and to, to hear a bit about their fandom of Klingons and of Trek. So, Kapla, Gregor. Kapla, Robert. Good evening. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, that was a brilliant introduction. What a description of the Klingon fleet here you gave us. What yes, fantastic. Indeed. Yes, it's good for, for listeners. And hope, we're hoping, of course, that the crew will listen into us as well, naturally enough, but also that we'll have people listen from different parts different areas. I know over in Twitter where we have a, a, an account over there that we do have some followers from Canada and from America. And so it's, I thought it'd be really good to, to get a wee podcast up and running and really just to let people know who we are. And as I said, to get to know a bit more yep. about the crew. And of course, you have your own podcast. So if you want to tell us a bit about that. 
Yes, yes, uh, along with one of my pataks, JJ. Mm. Um, we have the Spock the Week podcast, which is almost weekly, depends when we get around it, but most weeks we have Spock the Week um, on. You can find it on Facebook, that's the platform that we use for it, and if you just search for Spock the Week, it should should turn up, and we've been doing that a, a couple of years now, on and off. We, we have some breaks for holidays and things like that, but yeah, we... we we really enjoy it and it's, it's good fun and you get some really good chat in the comments and it's a, a really good way of pulling not just some of the local fans together like we do in the, the IKV Borders Reavers, but you know, a wider audience as well. Mm. Um, and it's, I can honestly say it's a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a crucial point you made at the end there that, that I think everything we do, it has to be fun, isn't it? Oh, you know, absolutely. It's about enjoyment. Yeah. yeah. It's about right. enjoyment. And yeah, I mean, the, the podcast thing, of course, has come into its own, I suppose, over the last few years. I know there's, there's probably hundreds of um, Star Trek you know, science fiction podcasts out there. But mm. yeah, I mean, I've, as you know, I, I am a regular listener to Spot the Week. I quite often catch up on it later on in the evening when you've broadcast it. Um, on Steamyard at the moment, and it's yes, yeah, fantastic. So I would I would really encourage anyone who hasn't listened to it so far, then then do as as Gregor says on, on there in Facebook, do check it out. Um, some brilliant chat, not only about Star Trek, of course, but also other TV shows and films and and life, really. <laughs> it's fair to say. So some the odd swear word sneaks in. I don't know oh, if Mr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if Mr. Zuckerberg's picked up on the odd swear word yet. But, uh... <laughs> it's very passionate as well, which we love <laughs> because I know I know you do uh, display a lot of passion about Star Trek, as as we would hope and expect. Um, and some some great reviews of recent shows. I know you were talking, in fact, about Strange New Worlds um, just yeah. the other week. Yeah, I mean, I sort of lost interest in Strange New Worlds because I loved season one. I thought it was new, it was refreshing. Um, it was full of nostalgia if you're a certain age for the 1980s and the Steven Spielberg type of films that were around at that time. And I, I, I thought season one was great, season two less so. By the time season three came along, I thought it was becoming a bit of the same. Hmm. But I, I thought this current season, I, I thought they absolutely hit it out the park you know big return to form um and it was an awesome season and you know, going into it i thought well surely that will be it and mm. surely season four will wrap it up but uh no i was i was wrong because it's uh, season five it looks like we're getting because there's no no way in the world they could have left it left it there where they did yeah 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 absolutely absolutely but um as you said some shows which show a fondness and nostalgia, as you put it, for the 1980s and, and, and those of a, a certain age like ourselves, I think, it's fair to say. But how did being a fan of Star Trek start for you? Well, um, my first memories of Star Trek were in the sort of mid to late 70s um, on the reruns of the original series. Yeah. And I, did, I had seen some of the animated series, but we didn't really, my memory is that that didn't get shown as much here. And I, I no. do sort of remember that slot that BBC had 
sort of a three o'clock till five o'clock slot that BBC had after school slot and the animated series would be on in that point. Yeah. But generally, it, it wasn't that frequent that it was on, whereas the original series, and I believe it occupied more or less the same slot that TNG would come to occupy 10 years later, which was this sort of Wednesday, mm. Tuesday stroke Wednesday, six o'clock slot on BBC Two. And that was my first memory um, of watching Star Trek. And I think the first, well, I don't think, I know. Um, I mean, uh, I know now there's only four episodes with Klingons in the original series. Um, yes. so I've become a bit of a geek that way. But <sighs> um, the first episode that I remember seeing the Klingons in, in earnest and remembering it and actually really enjoying the episode um, would be The Trouble with Tribbles yeah. um, and Koloff and William Campbell's um, infectious stroke, cartoonish stroke, over the top uh, yeah. Koloff. Um, which, I mean, it's a great episode of Star Trek uh, in its own right. Um, but I and I did introduce the Klingons, but I don't... In terms of their evolution, um, they very much fitted the purpose that they were created for in the original mm. series, which was uh, a metaphor for the, the Eastern Bloc or, or the Soviet Union yeah. uh, in those days. So they were, they were a little bit two-dimensional mm. um, at that stage. But that being said, they were the adversary that you remember most or certainly I remembered most from the original series mm. uh, without a doubt yeah yeah I mean I would absolutely agree with that that they, they did stand out like you I came to Star Trek really in the late 70s reruns as well on TV uh, I do remember going to see the motion picture mm -hmm. at the cinema and really, you know, at quite an early age, I'd have been about oh, 10 then, and really enjoying the motion picture. Uh, I know opinion is, is divided on it. And of course, Klingons are, I think, the, I think I'm right in saying the only alien species to have featured in every Star Trek film. Is that right? Certainly uh, in one. Are they in two? I think there's a brief. Or maybe a Klingon vessel. <laughs> uh, that might be, might be a Klingon vessel at least yeah. appears in every yeah. every film. Um, but you're right. I mean, the, <clears throat> there was a real, well, it was a start of a development, wasn't it, in the motion picture, where we yeah. saw these different Klingons with the armour right at the very beginning when their birds of prey mm -hmm. were destroyed at the outset of the motion picture. And prior to that, you're right that they, they had been a metaphor for the Soviet Union, mm. certainly. Um, and the Trouble Tribbles, of course, a, a tremendous episode. Um, and seeing the conflict and the tension between yeah. you know, Scotty in particular with the Klingons. Yeah. Uh, and the Trouble with Tribbles is sort of, sort of Star Trek and uh, at its best, you know, you've mm. got a, a classic or what would go on to become the classic adversary. Um, you've got humour in it. You, you've got a political situation in it. You've got Kirk being Kirk, and as in 
proper Kirk, not the one that's perceived now where he's reckless and womanized yeah. and things like that. Kirk, Kirk being his best to be the diplomat, to be the, the you know the voice of reason and make the best decision possible, mm. um, and that's what it's great. That's what's great about it. I'm glad you mentioned the motion picture. I could talk about the motion picture for quite a lot. I have some conflicting <laughs> um, thoughts within my, conflicting with myself in terms of what I thought was great about the motion picture and what wasn't. Mm. However, um, bringing it back to the Klingons, I was nine when I went to see the motion picture and they must have done something right in it because I actually remembered almost every important plot point from that movie forever. Right. I, you know, I, I have revisited it and maybe I'm a bit more patient now and it's a better film than I remember it. I still think it's got some flaws in terms yes. of facing, etc. Hmm. But I think uh, it, it was a great Star Trek. Um, hmm. You know, a, a great intro to the, the film series overall, although be it a long way from the best one. Yeah. What I remember, though, in terms of the Klingon evolution, um, is, you know, the, that opening scene where the three D7s are heading into the cloud and we see the new makeup. Hmm. It wasn't quite the makeup that we got in TNG, but it was a big leap forward from the low-budget stuff that we had in the original series mm. and, and to, to what they evolved in, in TNG and DS9. But the thing that I want to draw attention to from that scene is Jerry Goldsmith gave us the most incredible motif for whenever the Klingons were on screen and appeared in menacing. That, yeah. you know, do-do, do-do, do-do. And... Mm the sort of drum beat and the percussion that that yeah. had and, and the foreboding tone that that motif um, brought. And I, I, I think, you know, people talk about um, John Williams' Imperial March. Mm. For me, that Klingon motif by Jerry Goldsmith is every bit the equal um, and sets everything right. The tone, you know what's coming. The mood the and fits almost every scene that it's used in, whether it's used in a series or in a film, and later later on because it was used quite a lot. And I, I thought that was a, a fantastic um, moment and something that is indelibly imprinted in my mind now. I can't hear that motif and not think, not picture a Klingon somewhere. No, absolutely. Absolutely, you're, you're right. I think it, it adds to the, the mythos, really, of Klingons, and it's la it does it does continue. It's the reason, I suppose, that we have this fleet as well, um, because it's it's a group of people who clearly love Star Trek in general, but also have that admiration, might be the word, for for the Klingons, or or you know, a kind of favouring of the Klingons as, as the alien species in Star yeah. Trek. I mean, obviously we've had, the Romulans have, have been there from the beginning. <clears throat> we've had the Andorians from early on as well. And DS9, I, I think was fantastic in, in developing the lights of the Cardassians. But the one, the one which continues to, to, well, for me, for us, I think it, to shine through as the alien species is still the Klingons. Yeah, and the, the, their evolution from Russian metaphor mm. through to, um, well, ally is the only way yeah. you can put it, 
by the time we get to, to Deep Space Nine um, was incredible. And I'm sure we're going to talk about different points in that journey mm. <laughs> uh, as we go through uh, the podcast tonight. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, perhaps that, that's what's enabled the Klingons to endure is that development that we've seen so many changes in them, whereas uh, you can recognise the Romulans in many ways from the original series to, to what they even are and how they're portrayed today. Whereas the, the I think you're right going back to the motion picture, that the, the ridges, hmm. which, is, which, you know, is, is discussed at great length on the internet, quite why and how the Klingons have these ridges, but it, it was a shock to see them um, in the opening scene of the motion picture, uh, just looking so different. And and the development of the characters throughout uh, TNG and, and DS9 in particular mm-hmm. um, is just, uh, just brilliant. And, and even again, the different way that the, we saw the Klingons in Enterprise as well. Yeah, um, you know, starting with Broken Bow, yeah. Um... I'm trying to think what other, there are a few enter, I think there's about mm. half a dozen or so Enterprise episodes, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, they were, I mean, again, they have the ridges, but they, they are shown differently. Yeah. And you have some fantastic characters, uh, Martok and Gowron, and, you know, the rivalry between them, Worf, mm-hmm. of course, is, is many people's favourite. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the big characters in Star Trek have, of course, been Klingons. Oh, yeah. I mean, who's your favourite Klingon and why is it Martok? Uh, <laughs> Undoubtedly, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard, well, um, is it Killar? Mm. Is that how you pronounce it? Killar? Yeah. Uh, Morph's, Morph's wife. Um, mm. I know a fantastic character played, you know, um, you know, you mentioned conventions earlier, but what a fantastic convention guest Susie Plaxon is. Absolutely mm. brilliant. If you can ever, if at a convention where Susie Plaxon's there, catch her panels, catch her, her, her signings and her photo opportunities. She's absolutely amazing. Right. Um, definitely worth catching. And yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess a, a lot of the the thanks for the this development in the Klingons has to go to Ronald D. Moore, yeah, who wrote a lot or a lot of the the major TNG. Klingon stories mm-hmm. and wanted to explore that aspect of their culture and and what made them. And you know, within that series as well, there was it was reflected in Picard's willingness to immerse himself mm-hmm. and support Worf and what was going on with the Juras sisters and the mm-hmm. persecution of the House of Mog um, and supporting Gowron to become. Um, Chancellor, uh, you know, I mean, people say TNG was a episodic Star Trek, but certainly as far as the Klingons went, mm. they definitely flirted with longer story arcs on that yeah. one. Yeah, I think so. And the development of, of Alexander as well, yeah, uh, Worf's as Worf's son, there's, there's fantastic episodes where, of course, Worf gets to meet the older Alexander. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you, well, Heat Worf doesn't realise that until quite near the end of the episode, but it, it, it's really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing what Alexander has has grown up to become, 
you know, of course, Worf is is so desperate for him to follow in his footsteps and or, or to be a warrior, and and to keep up the the traditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, some great episodes. I'm trying to think what's the what was the episode where um, J- Juras killed Kelar? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm never great with the names of it. I, name I know. I, I always get the references, but I never. I can never always pinpoint the name. But yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, there's de- there's definite depth in it. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think. Oh, it's annoying me putting that one in this now. I'll come back to me at some point. Uh, what What would you say your favourite Star Trek series is overall? Um, oh, Deep Space Nine. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. And probably it became my favourite on my one and a half. Because the problem with Deep Space Nine, when they showed it here in the 90s, when it first came out, the BBC, once it got to season four, had an awful habit of not showing it in order. Yeah. And it became quite confusing. Mm. So I think while I did like it because... You could kind of follow it if you'd seen certain episodes. Hmm. I'd be watching it and think, you know, I, so typically I would watch an episode such as um, In Purgatory Shadow by Dawn's Early Light, the double episode where they're in the Jem Hadar prison. Right. And um, I'd seen enough to you know, know there was a lot, an awful lot going on in that double episode and seeing that there was real quality and, and beyond the, you know, TNG was great and it had some great storytelling, great mm. characterization, and um, the stories were, for the most part, in either a morality tale or a fable type storytelling, whereas Deep Space Nine, yeah, it had that, but it had a lot more... Um, depth in terms of your emotional involvement with the characters because of the Dominion War and mm. everything that was going on. So um, I was really, you know, really enjoying it. And then it was when I watched it for the first time, sort of halfway through watching it for the first time in order, I thought, actually, this is the best mm. Star Trek series for me. Mm. Um, and ever since then, so that would have been about... 2005, 2006, I think that I managed to actually watch it right through for the first time in order, um, right. and it was like just amazing. I would totally agree. It's also my favourite. Um, I mean, it's never easy with any story or series to, to stretch out to, to seven seasons, of course. But one of the the, the strengths to me of DS Nine, I know some people talk about the early seasons were a bit slow uh, to get off it. I'm not so sure about that, but it was it was kept fresh. I think the, the Dominion War, of course, as you suggested, it became a major story arc, but later on, moving into to season seven, I love the character of Vic Fontaine mm-hmm. yeah. and what, what they did with him and, and his relationship with members of the crew. And I just thought... They've done well, you know, to get that to seven seasons and, and introduce this new Hollow Sweet character, of course. But he's really added something to this. 
Um, and I think DS9 also often, and, and Vic Fontaine's a good example of it, but it often struck a good balance between quite serious issues at times with humour. Yeah. And of course, the Ferengi, I, I know we both love uh, the magnificent Ferengi as an episode. <laughs> Um, the Ferengi often in, injected a lot of the humour into it. Yeah. There's, there's no quite, they're just fantastic characters and, and actors as well. Um, but it's difficult to think back on DS9 and, and pick out a character that you, you didn't like in some yeah. way. Yeah, and I mean, and characters that were written in a way that when you first meet them, you don't like them. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know anyone that likes Bashir right from the off. I don't know no. anyone that liked Kira right from the off. Mm. You know, and by the end of it, you know, certainly I, I didn't like the two those two characters to begin with. But mm-hmm. you know, by the time you get to season seven, and you're you're rooting for them both because you've been on you've shared their journey. And you've seen some really dark moments for for both of them. The what's that? I'm trying to remember the name of the episode. It's the one where the Dominion have infected a planet, mm. and yeah. um, Bashir can't cure them, mm-hmm. and basically can't live with himself because he can't make a difference. Well, although he makes, it makes a small difference in that he can cure unborn children, so mm. it will will fade out. But he can't he can't help the people that are there now. Um, and you know, God, Kira has a few dark moments beginning in you know season one with Duet, yeah. Um, and then you know, to see Kira's journey, mm-hmm. and then when she puts the Starfleet uniform on just so that she can work with the Cardassians, our sworn enemy, mm-hmm. um, it's just fantastic storytelling and fantastic character development, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very well written, and, and I would <clears throat> say it. Arguably, it's the consistency of, of DS9 which makes it stand apart <clears throat> from the other seasons. I think TNG uh, and Voyager, you know, have some very strong episodes, some very strong areas in each, but I don't think they've got the same consistency as the, you know, I think you can be going along in TNG and you have some very good episodes followed by two or three real clunkers. Mm-hmm. And I never, I never felt that with DS9. I just thought the writing and the characters, and as you say, the development of the characters throughout the seven seasons, really brought that to the pinnacle. Yeah, I mean, I think the episodes uh, where perhaps the A story isn't particularly strong, mm. and I, you one of the weaker DS9 episodes, there would still be a B or maybe an even C story yeah. that had some significance at some point for the story arc mm-hmm. uh, and I, I think you know that I think that's where the consistency is coming from yeah yeah it's you know, it's interesting I mean I, I know I know many people love DS9 I know others really dismiss it as, as well um, because of course it was on a space station rather than a ship um, I, I saw that as a strength again though yeah, I mean, it was a definite attempt to do something different. You know, we'd had at that point up to three, you know, we had T 
TOS, the animated series, and TNG at, at that mm-hmm. point. So they wanted to do something different. And when you look at the people that were involved in it, so Michael Pillar obviously was involved in the creation. And I was a, a, a senior player within DS9 mm-hmm. right from the off. And he'd walked away from TNG because he'd found it too restrictive. Yeah. Um, so, the, you know, they, there was a willingness, there was an, a willingness and an ambition there to do something different. And they definitely, obviously, you know, by the time they got to season three and Michael Pillar was, um, his health wasn't great. And he was concentrating more of, I think, on Voyager by that point. Hmm. And Ira got to run the show on his own. And you could see that difference in season three. Yeah. That he was like, you know, I'm, you know what, we're going to go, we're going to go a story arc. We're going to show conflict. We're going to, and how it's resolved. And we're so far away from Earth. We're not going to have... Utopia, yeah, uh, and it, it was a really interesting exploration of the the Starfleet Stroke Federation values and world that we had seen built, you know, mostly through TNG. I have to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it certainly goes in a different direction, but a, arguably a better direction, or perhaps it really j- it just captured the mood the mood of the time. Um, obviously, the mid mid or late nineties was a real, I think it's fair to say, a real high point for Star Trek. Oh, I, I, yeah, I think you know, sort without, of without a doubt. Um, also, a, you know, a, a high point for science fiction. I think in t- TV, you have Babylon Five in there mm. as well, um, right at the same time. So yeah, but, you know, in saying that, I, I did enjoy most of Enterprise, particularly seasons three and four. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course we have a gap <laughs> yes. and, then it, and then it gets to more recent shows um, could it be said that you know I know, I know you're, you, you've, you've been favourable towards Strange New Worlds as you said earlier um, could it be said I'm being very charitable with recent, recent shows that they're trying to do too much now I mean, I'm not a writer, but you know, um, I, I look at a lot of YouTube channels and I form my own opinions and I listen to other opinions. And sometimes mm. I agree with people's opinions. Sometimes they change my opinion, and sometimes I just think you're completely wrong. Yeah. So I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not closed off to new ideas or you know anything like that. I think, I think the problem with the new shows is there doesn't how can I put this there's a couple of things that are wrong with the new shows is recurrent in almost each new show Mm. even Strange New Worlds although less so in Strange New Worlds there is an over-reliance on fan service Mm -hmm. and sticking stuff in for the sake of sticking stuff in Mm. that actually serves no purpose to the story Mm-hmm. Uh, there is an over-reliance in throwing in plot lines that have no resolution, just hoping that some of it sticks. Yeah. Um, they don't let anything mature. Therefore, you don't, or certainly I don't, get invested in anyone. Um, mm-hmm. Stuff's created and then forgotten about. So I, I, I a typical thing I'm talking about in terms of introducing a plotline and then forgetting about it 
um, would be the ice storyline that we saw midway through Picard. Mm-hmm. So they introduced that. They, they fly in, not meaning to change the timeline, uh, with phasers, and they get Rios with their phasers and magical transporter or whatever it was they used to get there. Yeah. And all the prisoners escape. So they've already committed, I don't know how many temporal time, <laughs> shifts. <laughs> time shifts yeah. there, but then the ice thing's completely forgotten about. Mm. There's no consequence. It doesn't run through as a theme. It's just something, oh, let's just, this is a modern day thing mm. about immigrants. We'll talk about it, but it's not explored in any kind of intellectual way. It's just thrown in there and then it's forgotten about. There, mm. you know, there's no consequence. There's, yeah. And when I look at other shows where they seem to know where they're going, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, like, well, for all mankind, yeah, I'm pretty sure at the beginning, in fact, I know, because when we come to talk about it, uh, <laughs> the climax of it for all mankind, this episode actually contained a scene that was in the post credit scene at the end of season two. So there's clear landmarks that Ronald D. Moore wants to hit. Mm-hmm. You know, so he'll probably have on his whiteboard in the writer's room, right, here are the landmarks we need to hit. We need to fill in the gaps in how we're going to get there. Yeah. You know, there's a plan. Yeah, I mean, there's <clears throat> obviously in, in terms of modern TV, if you want to call it the last five, five years, probably in, in particular the last 10 years, perhaps, with the range of streaming services now competing against each other and the budgets available as well, of course, um, there have been some very strong science fiction orientated shows. Um, I think we, we would agree that For All Mankind has, has been the best of recent times. Mm-hmm. Um, the Expanse yeah. is, is another, I think, that was, that was well worked. And there is perhaps a sense that for Star Trek as a, a franchise, it can be difficult to compete now. You know, we touched on, we were talking earlier about the, the late 1970s, mm-hmm. the early 80s, the, into the mid-90s, where there was far less competition mm-hmm. on TV, you know, um, for the likes of DS9 or Voyager even to, to go up against. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's clearly not the case now. And people look they do they do like special effects but they also look to the quality of writing and consistency and following through the plot and the story arc and character all these things you know that make a good show Mm. um so maybe as well that that star trek is in 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 current times is always going to struggle a bit more against some very strong competition yeah, what 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 I would um, what I would say is like yeah, I agree with you on the budgets because when you think back to when we were younger, you had TV actors and you had film actors, mm. and occasionally someone would try and make the leap from TV to film. They'd be in a flop, and then they're back in TV. <laughs> and that's not what happens now. You have huge Hollywood stars who will appear in a Netflix or a Prime series or an Apple series, for that matter, and then go back to a film. They, they go seamlessly between TV and film. And I'm sure that is the same for the big writers and the big directors. Mm. So what I would say is when you're talking about Star Trek competing now, um, 
and you think about the audience that they seem to be aiming for with, mm -hmm. with the new shows. Now, for me, the audience for Breaking Bad, Ozarks, Stranger Things, For All Mankind, The Expanse, uh, Severance is another good show mm -hmm. that's been on, The Boys. Yeah. That is the same audience that would watch Star Trek, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. And the problem, the problem is they're not coming up with shows of that quality. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean that that is that is a tough field. <laughs> no because there's when, a lot there's a lot of quality and and I think every everyone you mentioned there I yeah. think are all very strong shows. Yeah, and, and, in their own right. And with the universe that has been created for them, mm -hmm. you know, with all that lore that has gone before, the writers have been given a gift mm -hmm. with Star Trek, and they've been given a budget that was never imaginable. No, I know before for Star Trek and they've not made the most of that gift hmm. and you know come up I'll, I'll use again I'll use the Strange New Worlds thing so the um, Ninian Singh character yeah you know when we come back to talking about the writing constructing your character your story etc so they introduce Ninian Singh as a defendant as a descendant of Khan Ninian Singh but they also, the baggage that they've given this character is that her family were killed by the Gorn. Yeah. So what baggage is she carrying here? Because other than the name, as the series progressed, that clearly wasn't holding her back. What was holding her back was the baggage with the Gorn. Mm -hmm. So why make her a Noonie and sing? And I think mm -hmm. this is where some, some Star Trek fans, like myself, become frustrated because you've just thrown in a Star Trek <laughs> but a fan service that served no purpose in the story hmm. at all other than just throwing it in there yeah the gone stuff was enough yeah you're, you know? you're right you're right that that is a very good illustration of, of exactly what you're talking about i mean lights of lord decks which, which i thought was okay but season one in particular was was just fan service throughout yeah. you know and and reference after reference to to every season there is a place for that, and parts of that were, <clears throat> were enjoyable, but you're right, it, it needs more than that. Um, and you can't you can't entirely live off the back of um, previous shows in that way. And it has to be consistent, it has to tie together. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of prequels per se, because I do mm. think you're restricting yourself. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I think you'd be hard pushed to find even the most venomous critic who doesn't think Anson Mount is an amazing pick. Yeah. You know, uh, oh, it has been. There's, yeah. there's no credit. It's just been. I think the perfect actor has been cast in the role. Absolutely. With Anson Mount, um, yeah. he's just run with it. He's he's made it. You know, he's he has made Pike. I think yeah. really, he's really fleshed out the character. Um, very strong actor. And and that's but I think I think what's been good about Strange New Worlds is with that and um, with Anson Mount um, as I say in a very prominent role, but it, he's he's not carried the show on his back, you know, because they've really broadened out the other characters as well, the bridge crew, and you really you feel that you've got got to know 
a bit about them. Um, and there's some strong characters there as well, which yeah. I think is is a something that the other <laughs> more recent shows have lacked. Yeah. Again, I mean, to put that very tactfully. I mean, uh, well, well, we would have done well as the same character who I actually didn't want to like because I mm. thought, oh, they're doing it again. Um, but I actually thought that character did develop well. Yes, um, she did. So, I, you know, I thought, you know, I, I, I doff my cap to the writers on, on that yeah. one. Where I think they made a mistake is um, with Ahura. Mm. You know, I don't want, I'm not sure if my place is in Starfleet. Well, there's no tension there because we know you're in 79 episodes of the original series plus <laughs> six movies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. But... But thinking about as, as well, I mean, obviously your own fandom of, of Star Trek. Um, clearly, you've you've watched you've watched all the shows and the films. How how else do you, do you sort of live your fandom? I know you're you're a fan of uh, conventions. Well, we Sarah and I um, were individually before we met in two thousand and one. We're Star Trek fans, mm. and to be pretty honest. You know, um, up till that point, I was, you know, a Star, well, not a Star Trek fan alone. I didn't really explore 2001 that much on the internet in terms of fan groups, mm. etc. I was a keen collector of the Star Trek fan files, if you remember them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but other than that, I didn't do much. And then for, after Sarah and I got together, for a few years, we, we spoke about conventions. And mm. we, we regret it now, but we never managed to make the... Star Trek experience at the Hilton in Vegas. Hmm. Um, so that, I think it was 2011 that shut down, so we're disappointed. So a couple of years out from the 50th anniversary in 2016, we said, right, we've never done it, let's go and do a convention. And if we're going to do one, let's do the 50th anniversary in Vegas, if you're going to do it properly. Yeah. And um, we loved it. Um, so in terms of where, how do I live? I mean, I, I have a couple of uniforms. I've got an original series uniform and I have a black and grey mm -hmm. uniform. Um, so I'm not much of a cosplayer myself, but what mm. I do do, and this started in 2016 and certainly when I went back to Vegas after that, is I got into cosplay photography. Right. Um, so if anybody, you know, has been on my Facebook page or that, they'll see albums from STLV where I've, I've, I've mm. got the cosplayers um, and I tend to I try and do something almost um, you know film or series like depending on the character that they're cosplaying mm -hmm. and I, I, I usually carry at least I usually carry at least one flash gun with the camera often I'll carry two flash guns and a choice of lenses and I'll put on occasion, I'll put coloured gels over the, the lens as well and try and give the the, the picture a, a specific look. I mean, mm. Klingons, for example, are very good to backlight with a red gel yes. on the flash gun behind. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, the what I like to do now is go and do the, the, the cosplay photography. I'll quite often Google images from an episode or a seen from a movie and then try and recreate that very much on the hoof mm -hmm. um, but there's, uh, sometimes the spontaneity of it 
uh, carries off. I don't know if you've seen my picture of the Klingon, the, the Juris sisters. Oh, yes. Yeah, from Vegas, yeah. that that sort yeah. of thing. I mean, they were brilliant. And they, yeah. you know, it was just like, you know, they, I just used to have to say, act, act like um, Beetor or mm. what's the other Juris sisters again, another name, can't remember. Mm. Yeah. Um, and they would just do it and they were brilliant. And mm. so that, you know, that, that that's, that's where I am now with it. And yeah, I, just, I love the cosplay photography. And the conventions are, particularly what I found in Vegas was even just talking to the sheer, you know, lots of fans here, just talking to the other people about it was a, a brilliant, amazing experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And, and, and cosplay has, has really mushroomed. It's fair to say over the it's, last... It's gone mainstream. Years, it has gone very mainstream. And it was interesting going along to, you know, one on a much, much smaller scale in the likes of Vegas, but going along to Capital Con mm. in Edinburgh um, just like two or three weeks ago, uh, and I dressed as a Klingon in the, in the Sunday. But I would say what, what's predominating now is probably a lot of anime, characters mm. of course you superheroes with with the marvel influence and star wars i think's pretty much in vogue um yeah. i don't know if it ever wasn't but it, you know it's very much there but i suppose star trek cosplays it's a great thing for fans obviously because it's you know it's quite easy it's easy to get into in the first place as you say you can just you can have a original series top or uniform or the grey top um, it's easy to just put on and you know you don't even need makeup as such there um, or you can, you've got the choice of, of going down the route of, of some of the aliens <clears throat> so so there is there is scope there and I, I do think Star Trek still very much does fit in or it should fit in with, with what conventions have become with the real focus in cosplay now? Well, I mean, there was, I don't know if you saw the Liz Truss picture of her yeah. dri driving a train, so there is still very much at the forefront of uh, modern iconography. Um, when you saw the picture of her driving the train and the comment, the new Star Trek film looks really rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> so it's and still, you know, in, the yeah, get, it's still yeah. in the forefront of many people's minds. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think as, as far as dressing as, as a Klingon um, goes, and, and what I want to stress about your group, and, and I made this uh, clear from the very beginning, is that you do not have to dress as a Klingon to join us, not at all. Um, if, you, if you want to, please do. If you don't, absolutely no problem. Um, and we are not a group that ever sort of has a, a gatekeeping of, you know, you must turn up and as an original series Klingon or, or looking like Martok. Um, but I think going to conventions around Scotland and the UK, you, you've maybe ever seen that many Klingons. I think it is, I know it's been quite big in America uh, at different times. And, and obviously during the 90s with TNG and, and DS9, um, Klingons are very well known. And, and so there were various groups then. But, you probably won't see too many um, people dressed as that. But that, as I say, for our group, that's okay. <laughs> it's it's more about, it's, you know, the chat. It's about talking Star Trek in general. It's about talking about Klingons um, and reminiscing as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, certainly in Vegas, I was amazed at how many people were dressed as Klingons, mm. particularly the TNG variant with the sort of grey leather tunic. Yeah. Tight yeah. top with the, the battle armor. Yeah. Yeah, the, sh- the shoulders. And I mean, the, mm. the lengths people must have gone to. Yeah. To create the uh, yeah. to create those was was amazing. It really yeah. was. Yeah, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work goes into it, and um, but it's it's worthwhile if that's your thing. I mean, it, the thing about cosplay, I suppose, is you've got to set yourself a budget like anything mm. else. And I know some pe- some people spend a, clearly an awful amount amount of money on it. Um, but it's, again, it's the most important thing is, is you've got to be having fun, you know, yeah. and um, you've got to be enjoying it and you've got to be willing to slap on a latex forehead or a, <laughs> a original series Star Trek uniform or whatever your thing is um, and just go along and enjoy it. Yeah. And, have, you, have you ever seen the thrifty cosplayers? Yes. Yeah, stuff. she yeah. is excellent. Yeah, some fantastic stuff Yeah, that she produces on, on the cheap. Yeah, that, yeah, that's the whole idea, and and yeah. she does every kind of Star Trek, alien, um, and and different types of costuming. Yeah, so we've got TV, uh, many iterations of Star Trek and TV and film, and we've got conventions we're talking about there. But what what sort of other interests do you have, of fandom or science fiction? Um, oh, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think the internet and YouTube and podcasts has been great because what I've discovered is so many podcasts that I can as well as obviously taking part one and guesting on on your own one today is mm. there's so many podcasts you can just dip in and out of them yeah and you know I avoided quite a few um while Strange New Worlds was was out until I actually um signed up to Paramount myself right and then I watched Strange New Worlds, and then I went back and listened to some back episodes and things mm. like that. Mm. And I, I think, you know, from from a fan perspective, if you, you know, if you, not everyone can get to the conventions. Yeah. But I think the podcasts and commenting on people's podcasts on Twitter, mm. um, it's a whole world in itself that's that's opened up. You know that that I found that I I, I think it's um, it's been you know, a great leveler for, for from that perspective. Mm. And to, you know, a lot of people who may have issues and, you know, agoraphobia or mm. things like that, but they're comfortable joining in podcasts or comments, uh, etc. That's brilliant. And, and I, I've enjoyed that aspect of it uh, as well. You know, I've been up at two in the morning because mm. someone in California has asked me to, to chat on their podcast and and I, I, i'm really enjoying that aspect yeah. of fandom i mean I've, it's only ever star trek ones i've done i've not done any other mm-hmm. um non-star trek related podcasts mm-hmm. uh, and, and i enjoy it you know it's it's really good and watching yeah. shows obviously <laughs> yeah absolutely and, and and going to conventions where you can but I, I think i think you've touched upon a really important point there as well with podcasts is that you know, you said not everybody can get to conventions. There are there are various reasons for that, of course. One of them, one of them is of course finance. Um, it's not always easy to to cover the costs of it, especially in you know this day and age. And podcasting though is is something that you can obviously, if you have a laptop or a phone, 
you can you can do it for free and it's it's a fantastic forum just for likes exactly what we've been doing tonight just chatting about star trek and other tv and conventions and all the rest of it um and you know we of course we invite people to to comment back on it and and hopefully have a bit of an interaction and it's just a way of getting your own passion for something out there um i know i have as you know in fact gregor i've um been involved in doing some connected with football uh, in the past which i really enjoyed and it i think the great thing about podcasting as well is not only do you get to you know just have a really enjoyable chats like this with people who share the same interests but also some of the folk you get to meet you know um on one of the football podcasts which was uh, connected to my team at Kilmarnock, you know, I, I was able to just email um, the club and ask if anyone from the board would would could, would like to come on and you know just chat me, and they did. <laughs> just quite astonished. It's okay. It's I, I think there's a lot of people, you know, whether it's Star Trek or indeed football. Um, there's a lot of people making themselves available to those yes. that will ask, and sometimes. Yeah. You just have to ask, and the access that you are given mm-hmm. is surprising sometimes. Yeah. It really is. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I'll, I just kind of go along with it. If, you know, people can only say no if you're going to ask them um, to come on and chat to you. And as I say, the, the beauty, again, being it's, it's free, it's not, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not costing you anything to do that. Um, and so it's quite amazing. Or, you know, other podcasts, as you say, that I, I listen to as well. And I think, how did they get? so-and-so on as a guest mm-hmm. you know yeah. um but the, the said guest whether it's a, an actor or a football player or whoever you can tell that they're they're enjoying it you know yeah. they're they've yeah. they've they genuinely like being asked on to to get a chance to talk about whatever it is they're doing um I, and to promote you know, to promote it i think for many of them it's actually a, a really welcoming environment whether it's football star trek mm-hmm. um or whatever and you know that they're hearing other opinions other than the people around them yeah it's not an echo chamber well. yeah um and i think that i think that's important for them and it's also it's a safe environment for well and it should be a safe environment let's be honest but yeah. um uh, it's a safe environment for them to to sort of reward yeah. fans if you're like. talking to fans yeah. and, and they know that but i and i think you're right i, I think you know, I, I came up with the idea on, I think it was just at the weekend, so it's, it's fantastic we've been able to do this tonight, of our own group um, starting a podcast and just having this opportunity to, to get to know the crew and to have other members of the crew hopefully listening in, as we said at the start, you know, and, and getting to know more about us and, and our views and, and likes and interests and all the rest of it. But it, it's just a good part of fandom and i think it's a good activity isn't it for for a group like us to, to have yeah i mean i would encourage if people are think if you're thinking about starting one whatever the topic is my advice would be just just do it if you're asked to guest on one just do it you, mm. you honestly do not know the doors but it will open for you and, and at the very least what's going to happen is you're going to have a fun evening exactly exactly and that's that's the one we come back to um as that is always the most important thing but just just sort of beginning to to wrap us up tonight 
and many, many thanks to Gregor uh, for coming on and, and taking the time to join us. Stephen, that has been an absolute pleasure. Um, as always, I mean, we've known each other for, for, for some time, Gregor, but, uh, and, and I think we, we know that we do share a, a lot of views, similar views in Star Trek, um, but it's, it's still refreshing um, to be able to have this chance to, to chat over it. No, uh, thank you very much for having me, and I'm, I'm honoured to be the first guest on the first episode. It's uh... <laughs> <laughs> you can always say you knew you knew where you were when uh, when this started when we were rich and famous. But yeah, I mean, do just just to to make a reference to our group um, again briefly at the end, the Scottish Klingons. If you've heard anything you liked tonight, if you hadn't heard about us before, if you have now. And you think, well, yeah, I'd quite like to get involved in that as well. Um, as we say, we do. What, what another thing I think is important for us to do is to try and get out and about around the country of Scotland as much as we can um, and to meet the crew where they are. So don't worry if you live, you know, you think, oh, I don't live in Edinburgh. That's okay. Um, I was over in Stirling, and, for instance, on Sunday um, to meet a couple of folk there in the crew. I've been down in Ayrshire. We've been up to Aberdeen. So we will come to you uh, as well, and I think that's I think that's really important. And also, if you, as a stress, you don't want to dress a Klingon, don't worry. Um, we do have a very busy, isn't it, um, Facebook chat room? Yeah, so I can't keep up with it actually. <laughs> no, I know, I know. It's, it's one of these things. I think I must have a couple of days off, uh, you know, from checking it, and then you do check it, and you think, oh. I'm going to have to spend the next hour catching up with what yeah, folk I, I, have been I, I, discussing. I think, I think it was yesterday. I was actually in a training course all day yesterday, and I'm in a training course again tomorrow all day. Um, and I came out and I was like sort of 25 notifications, and I thought, I'm not even going to bother checking that because I'm no. so far behind. I'll, I'll wait for the, I'll pick up the next topic and then run yeah. with it. Yeah, I know. I know it's been great. And and I think it's it's given a hope anyway, it's given people a, a chance to feel very much part of the group that um, as you say, they might not get to a convention or a night out or, or whatever it is, but they do feel, yeah, I, I like to go in and I'll just chat about Star Trek or cosplaying or TV in general or whatever. Um I've loved so far the, the fantasy football league. I thought it was a great idea. Yep. Um, thanks to Stuart. Michael I've, loved, I've loved it less so, so far. Uh, <laughs> well, no, I don't think we are doing that well, but uh, David, David, I think, still speaking ahead there. But yeah, that's early days, early days, or early doors, I should say. But um, so there is there is lots to, to hopefully, if you want to come on board with us. I think another thing it's, it's good to say is that I know quite a few of our crew are also members of the uh, USS Alba which is a Starfleet group. Um, we, we both are as well, of course. But it's good, it's good to have both groups, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's, it's good. I mean, I, I mean, I originally joined the ALBA to um, meet other Star Trek fans that were local or at least local-ish. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so when you, you started the Klingon group as well, I was like, well, you know what, I like Klingons. Mm -hmm. And it's good to have Scottish Klingons. Um, you've, let's be honest, you've never heard Klingon until you've heard it spoken with a Scottish accent. Um, absolutely not. As, so... tonight, as tonight, there's maybe a first almost, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So do get in touch. 
And please do get in touch if you are interested in any more information. Say we are there on Facebook. Just type in Scottish Klingons and I'm sure um, you will get the Google references. We're also over on Twitter and Instagram. And I say don't be shy on just even saying, well, can I join the Facebook chat group? We will find a place for you. Um, but yet, again, thank you very much to Gregor, as, say for, as he said, uh, being the first guest on Scottish Klingons podcast this evening. And we look forward indeed to having Gregor back on. Um, I'm sh very much sure he will be. I would love to join you again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. We will definitely have you back on. We do have some other people lined up. I'm, I'm happy to say um, for the next few episodes as well, but you will be hearing more for Gregor and say, please do check out Spot of the Week. In addition, if you haven't already done so, if you're not familiar with, with Gregor and JJ's work, it is fantastic. Um, and just find them on Facebook. So for now, it is Kapla again from me, Robert, and good night. And from Gregor. I, I'm off to Stovokor. I'm not quite. I'm not quite. Not, <laughs> no, not yet, surely. Not yet. Kapla. <laughs> and good night. Take care.